Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday, the 17th of January. I'm Jenny Tansing. With me reading the news are... Sue Perry. Janet Goodwin. Kate Hudman. Duncan Wynn is standing in, thank you so much, as our engineer, and Carol Hartley is working mm. on the administration. This week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information... The headlines this week are Man's dog won't be destroyed despite attacks Cricketer rape trial jury fails to reach verdicts Teenage vandals damage 10 cars Residents fears as six homes are burgled in a day Tattooist died of natural causes And action on boy racer meetings And I'll start off with the thought of the day which is Psalm 94, verses 16 to 19. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. And these are the obituaries for this week. Rose Kathleen Axton passed away peacefully at Royal Worcester Hospital on December the 21st, aged 85. A service will be held at Westall Park, Holbury Green, Redditch, on January the 24th at 3pm. Dorothy May Banner passed away peacefully on January the 7th, aged 99. The funeral service is at St. Edsburger Church in Lye, on January the 22nd at 2.15. Bernard William Draper passed away peacefully on December the 30th, aged 90. A funeral service at the Methodist Church at Droithwich will be on January the 22nd at 1pm. Doreen Elizabeth Gould, formerly of Earl's Common, Worcester, passed away on December the 29th, aged 96. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 18th at 915 William John Green, May the 5th, 1933, to December the 20th, 2018. Funeral service is on January the 18th at 10 a.m. at Worcester Crematorium. David Roy Hartle, known as Dave, passed away peacefully after a long illness, aged 58. We have no um, funeral arrangements yet. Mavis Lear passed away peacefully on December the 28th. The funeral service is at Burford Church on January the 18th at 12 noon. Hilda Pearl Little passed away suddenly at Pershaw Community Hospital on January the 2nd, age 93. The service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 18th at 10.45. Linda Dorothy Moss passed away on December the 31st, age 66. The funeral service is on January the 22nd at 9.15 at Worcester Crematorium. Ralph Edward Negus passed away on December the 31st, age 96. There's a private cremation. Evelyn Mary Brenda Smith, known as Brenda, 
passed away on December the 29th, aged 94. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 25th at 1pm. Nigel Timothy Warwick passed away on December the 13th, aged 60. The funeral is at St. Michael's Church, Elmley, Lovett at 1pm. Linda Andrews passed away on December the 30th, aged 70. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 22nd at 12.15. Philip Thomas Sawyer passed away on January the 7th, aged 85. The funeral service is at St Andrew's Church in Ombersley on January the 24th at 2.15. Glenis Rita May Madders, nay Smith, passed away at St Richard's Hospice on January the 2nd, aged 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 23rd at 2.30. Ron Neal died peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on January the 9th, aged 96. To celebrate his life, his, there's a service at Worcester Crematorium on January the 28th at 2.30. Olive Saunders, known as Ollie, passed away peacefully on January the 11th, aged 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 24th at 10.45. Gillian Elizabeth Bullock, on December the 20th, Age 68, the service is to take place at the Robin Hood Crematorium in Solihull on January the 21st at 11.30. Rosemary Ann Clark, nay Kidley, passed away suddenly at Worcester Royal Hospital on December the 27th, age 79. The funeral service is at St Martin's Church in Worcester on January the 23rd at 1.30, followed by the internment at Astwood Cemetery. Joan Colwell, formerly Nicholas, nay Holton, passed away aged 96. No funeral details as yet. Roy Lambert passed away at home on December the 16th, aged 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 23rd at 11.30. Martin's barber served the community for 45 years, sadly passed away and the service will be at Worcester Crematorium on January the 30th at 10.45. Anne Williams, nay Atwood, passed away at Stanfield Nursing Home on January the 10th, aged 81. The funeral service is at St Mary's Magdalene Church in Alfric on January the 21st at 2pm. Janet Andrews, nay Pew, passed away in hospital on January the 4th, aged 82. Funeral service is at St. Lawrence Church in Witchenford at 11.30 on January the 24th. David Henry Bullock passed away peacefully at Astley Nursing Home, aged 87. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 25th at 1.45. Albert Thomas Cowell, known as Tom, passed away on December the 27th, aged 89. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on January the 24th at 12.15. Our thoughts and prayers are with all the families. I'll now pass you on to Sue for the first headline. And this headline is from Friday, January the 11th. A dog that attacked two people in Worcester City Centre has been saved after the victims asked magistrates not to order the husky to be killed. But the dog's owner, Sir Khan Koruk, was warned his husky Malamute will be destroyed if there is a repeat attack. Koruk admitted two counts of being in charge of a dangerous dog that caused injury 
to the two victims in separate incidents only minutes apart in Worcester High Street on August the 11th. Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting, told magistrates that the first attack took place at 12.50pm outside the co-op travel when the defendant was watching a brass band playing near the Guild Hall. Miss Ritchie explained that Kevin Jardine, a dog lover, approached the husky to stroke him, but the two-year-old male lashed out and bit the victim, causing a -a one-and-a-half-inch puncture wound on his left arm. Miss Ritchie said the dog snapped. Mr Jardine went to Worcestershire Royal Hospital and was told the wound may need a skin graft, but fortunately they were able to stitch the wound. He made three other visits to hospital. He had to have four weeks off work. He is a self-employed builder and suffered a financial loss. Miss Ritchie said the second attack happened at around 1pm, just ten minutes later in the same location when victim Amelia Kite was walking in the street with her mum and pointed at the dog. The court heard the dog suddenly lurch towards her with enough force that he pulled Karuk, who then tried to get the husky under control by shouting at him. Miss Ritchie said Karuk did manage to pull the dog away, but not before the dog injured the victim. Miss Kite went with her mother to hospital and they cleaned up her hand and wrists that were bleeding, Miss Ritchie said. They gave her a tetanus boost as a precaution. She added, both injured parties have said they do not wish for the dog to be destroyed. Defending himself, Karuk was asked whether the details of the offence were correct, to which he replied, it is what it is. Asked why he had not moved position after the dog's first attack, the 37-year-old of Albert Road, Worcester, said, it was the dog, he was under control, the dog was eating. In the second incident, I was trying to calm him down when she approached. He had never done anything like this before. Karuk added that he had not seen the dog since his arrest as the husky was seized by police. Magistrates who deliberated for more than 10 minutes fined Karuk £115 for both attacks and ordered him to pay compensation of £700 to Mr Jardine and £100 to Miss Kite. Karuk was also ordered to pay costs of £185 and a victim surcharge of £30, a total of £1,245, which is to be paid at a rate of £15 a week. A contingent order was also made warning that the husky would be destroyed if there is another occurrence, sorry, if there is another occurrence, and ordering that the dog must be kept on a lead and muzzled at all times when in public. Karuk appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday. Saturday, January the 12th. A cricketer accused of two rapes put his head in his hands when a jury failed to reach verdicts in his trial meaning he and his alleged victim may have to go through it all again. Former Worcestershire County cricketer Alex Hepburn looked pale and weary as he broke down in the dock at Worcester Crown Court after learning he could face a retrial in April. However, the Crown Prosecution Service is now considering whether another trial is appropriate in the wake of the hung jury's verdicts. 
the 23-year-old of Portland Street, Douglas, Worcester, denies two counts of rape against a woman said to have been committed at a Worcester flat he shared with teammate and best friend Joe Clark on April 1st, 2017. However, the jury of four men and eight women became deadlocked and had to be given further direction and clarification by Judge Tim, Jim Tyndall. At noon, the judge gave them a majority direction, telling the panel they should still work towards reaching unanimous verdicts where possible. But the majority verdicts of 11 to 1 or 10 to 2 were now acceptable on both counts. However, after nine hours and 17 minutes spent deliberating over two days, the jury was called in again to gauge the likelihood of members reaching any kind of consensus. The panel was asked, were it to be given more time, if majority verdicts on at which least 10 of the panel agreed would be reached. The foreman returned a short while later and said panel members did not believe that they would reach a majority, even if permitted more time. Judge Tyndall discharged the jury, thanking the panel for its efforts. He said, you have made, in fairness, your position very clear. It's an extremely difficult, high-pressure case. Hepburn was seen to slump forward in the dock with his head in his hands. When he raised his face, he looked pale and anxious and close to tears. The judge fixed the provisional date of a retrial for April the 8th, a date convenient to both Prosecutor Miranda Moore QC and Hepburn's barrister, Michelle Healy QC. Speaking to Hepburn, the judge said, I'm sorry, it's never an ideal situation. It's not ideal for you. It's not ideal for the complainant. But there you are. The trial has been tense, highly emotional, with both the complainant and the defendant breaking down in the witness box. The background to the case included a series of WhatsApp messages between Hepburn, Clark and another male about a game of sexual conquest. The messages began on March 27th, a few days before the alleged rapes. They involved the men discussing the game, which involved them competing to see who could have sex with the most women, rating them on their looks, rating them on their own performance and describing whether they used a condom or not. Only freshies, women who they'd not had sex with before, counted towards the day tally and Hepburn said the conquests had to be legit, which meant prostitutes did not count. Hepburn claimed that sex with the complainant in the case was consensual, consensual and that he believed she knew she was having sex with him and not with his then teammate, Joe Clark. He told the jury he did not initially realise there was anyone else on the mattress when he climbed into the bed. He said the woman rolled over and kissed him, which progressed to 20 minutes of sex. He said he could see her face and that she had her eyes open. However, the complainant, who was interviewed on a video played to the jury and appeared as a live witness, giving evidence behind a screen, said she woke up to find Hepburn with his penis in her mouth. Really believing it was Mr. Clark being a bit cheeky, she told the jury she tended to close her eyes during sex and that it continued because she believed Hepburn was Mr. Clark. She and Mr. Clark had enjoyed consensual sex earlier that morning after the two arrived together at the flat from Worcester nightclub Bushwhackers and before Hepburn returned to the flat also had sex with her. 
The woman claimed both men were of similar build and that she had not realised she was having sex with Hepburn until she heard his Australian accent, pushing him off and asking, where's Joe? She said she called her housemate from the ensuite bathroom before she found Mr Clark in another bathroom at the sleep, where he had gone to be sick, telling him that Hepburn had raped her. Judge Tyndall said at an earlier stage of the case that this was the closest this case gets to chivalry. The woman described how she called Hepburn a sick bastard and left the flat where she was found sobbing in the street by a passerby who was on her way to work and called 999 on her behalf. She described the complainant as wailing and her cries could clearly be heard on a recording of the call which was played to the jury. In the course of police inquiries, Mr Clark, who was also arrested, through, though no charges were ever brought, a decision criticised by the trial serving several times by the judge. At one stage, he told the jury, if you're wondering why he was arrested, you're not the only one. Hepburn's professional cricketing career has effectively been on hold since the allegations came to light, although he has continued to play as an amateur. amateur. Hepburn was suspended on full play pay until his contract with the club came to an end. The case generated significant press interest with the television crews and photographers, including some from Australia, reporting the case. Every day, Hepburn walked past a large group of photographers and reporters as he entered the court. The large press bench in court two was full yesterday, so much so that extra chairs had to be put out. Even then, there were too few seats, so many had to sit up in the public gallery. A spokesman for Westminster Police said the Crown Prosecution Service will now decide if a retrial is appropriate and added, we are unable to comment further at this time. The headline for Monday, January the 14th, Teenage Vandals Damaged Ten Cars. A gang of teenage yobs went on a rampage in St John's, damaging ten cars in what a district judge described as wanton vandalism. The three defendants, two youths and an 18-year-old man, admitted ten charges of criminal damage relating to the spree of damage in the early hours of April the 18th last year. Worcester Magistrates Court heard how the vandals were seen by witnesses in the St John's area of Worcester kicking cars, smashing windows and wing mirrors, <coughs> causing damage worth a total of £2,642. Barry Newton, representing the youths, said although they only claimed to have damaged some of the cars, they both accepted that they were involved in a joint enterprise. Mark Seward, representing Phoenix Kester of Goodrest Close, Worcester, said he has no previous convictions and he knows he let himself down and his mother, which means a lot to him. He works hard in a full-time job and we ask that you take this into consideration when determining your verdict. District Judge Nigel Cadbury said this was wanton and pointless vandalism and though it may seem like nothing, it may well have been very difficult for these victims to deal with it all. Think about the damage, especially if it happened in the middle of the night when young men your age shouldn't be out on the streets. In light of the fact that you have behaved yourselves between the offence taking place today, place taking place and today, I have been as lenient as I can considering the circumstances. 
Judge Cadbury handed out 10-week curfews on all three of the defendants, with the two youths being given community orders to carry out unpaid work. The youths, who cannot be named due to legal restrictions, were fined £115, while Kester was fined £250 for the damage. Summing up the case, Judge Cadbury said, I hope that this is the last time you are before a court. The trio appeared at court on January the 10th. The headline for Tuesday, January the 15th is Residents' Fears as Six Homes Are Burgled in a Day. Police believe that a spate of burglaries in one day in Worcester were carried out by thieves who travelled to the city to target unlit homes. Burglars struck at six homes in the Bevere and Northwick area on Friday afternoon and early evening. Four homes in Northwick and Bevere were targeted, including two in Bevere Close, which were broken into between 1.45pm and 6.30pm. Another two houses were burgled in the Northwick area, in Northwick Road, between 1pm and 6pm. Detective Inspector Dave Knight said police suspect that the criminals travelled from outside of the local area to carry out the burglaries as homes were dark and thus appeared to be empty. Resident Stephen Hanks of Bouvier Close told the Worcester News yesterday that he believes there has been an increase in crimes in the area. Mr Hank lives across the street from two properties which were burgled on Friday, January the 11th. The 56-year-old said, I've been living here for 52 years and I would always have described the area as a safe place before. I'm surprised all these break-ins have happened in the same area. It's all been kicking off since we have had the new housing estate built, Cherry Orchard, off Ombersley Road. Over the past two years, we've had more crime in the area. Three months ago, my van got broken into. They rifled through my belongings, although nothing was stolen. I'm usually at home during the day. However, last Friday, I left my house at around 12pm, so I missed it all. My neighbour told me he was out of his house all day and got robbed on Friday. He said the burglars went through the back and broke into the patio window to get in. He told me £150 was stolen from the kids' money tin. They forced open the money box and stole the child's savings. Next door also got robbed. They said their jewellery was stolen and the robbers had raided through their wardrobes and chucked all the clothes on the floor. Money and jewellery were stolen in the spate of burglaries. Regarding the two houses which were burgled in Northwick Road, jewellery was stolen from one home, but nothing was taken from the other property. If anyone in the area has any CCTV from Friday afternoon and early evening or has anything suspe- has seen anything suspicious, they're asked to call police on 101, quoting either 0548 110119 or 0577s. 110119. Detective Inspector Dave Knight said these offences would have taken place as it got dark and it's suspected that unlit houses were targeted as they looked empty. Police have a number of leads that they are following. The offences were clearly linked. We know that they were looking at the method of entry using timings and types of property stolen. As with all house burglaries, we will be using a breath of resources to identify the offenders, including our forensic team, uniform and detective officers. 
Safer neighbourhood police officers will be working in the area over the next few days to help reduce the chance of further offences. I can say that it appears that the offenders were not from the local area and the investigation also involves inquiries with other police forces across the country. He added, I know this is more comfort to the victims of this more recent spate of crimes, but it may help the community to understand that Worcester City has seen 36 less burglary dwellings, sorry, burglary dwelling crimes in the past rolling 12 months compared with the year before. Worcester City has had less less burglary of dwellings in the last rolling 12 months compared with annual figures in the past five years. Let me be clear that one house burglary is one too many and I, together with my police colleagues, are doing all we can to prevent these crimes from happening and when they do, we do all we can to bring the offenders to justice. Also on Friday, an intruder broke the glass of a back door to break into a home in Laslet Street off Rainbow Hill. The break-in happened between the hours of 8.10am and 6.30pm Nothing was taken from the home on that occasion. Again, if anyone has any CCTV or has seen anyone acting suspiciously, contact the police on 101 quoting 0571S11019. And this headline is from Wednesday, January the 16th. Tattooist died of natural causes. A popular city tattooist died of natural causes, according to his grandmother, who, was, who described him as a beautiful person. Jack Allender's body was discovered near to Barbourne Brook, Worcester, on August the 21st last year, but the cause of death has only just officially been confirmed to his family. The 29-year-old's grandmother, Linda Burrows, said she had not yet been able to bring herself to read Jack's full post-mortem, but described his death as a sudden thing. Obviously, people are going to assume the worst things, but it was natural causes, she told the Worcester News. It wasn't a heart attack, but I don't want to say any more than that about it, said the 69-year-old who lives off Rainbow Hill. We've struggled from the outset following Jack's death. You wait and wait for the coroner's result and it opens everything back up again. Waiting for the result has been an absolute nightmare. Asked if not knowing the cause of death of her grandson, who she raised since he was eight, had delayed the grieving process, Linda answered, yes, it probably did. A talented artist, Jack, opened his studio, The Madhouse, in Pump Street in December 2017, explained Linda, who had helped him get set up. We got that from a really bad stockroom and turned it into a studio. We did that between us, all the painting and everything, all the planning, she said. That was his dream, and he did get that. I was very proud of him. He'd always wanted to be a tattooist, and then he bit the bullet and started his own business. He didn't have any staff. The tattoo community, they have guest spots where they'll do a stint at another studio, but he was solely on his own for the majority of the time. Since Jack's death, the studio has been taken over by others with a different name and Linda is no longer involved. 
We didn't want them to use the name, she said. It was our choice of name. It still exists as a tattoo studio. It would have been a shame for it to close or become something else. Linda said she was overwhelmed by the amount of people who attended Jack's funeral at Worcester Crematorium in September. It was absolutely rammed. I was speechless at how popular Jack was and how much he'd touched people's lives. They are such lovely people. She said people in the tattoo community are often misjudged as thugs or nasty, but they're not. Jack was a beautiful person right from a young age. He was creative, he was musical, he played in a brass band in a guitar group while he was in Wales at university. There wasn't much he couldn't do, said Linda. He could pick up a penny whistle and give you a tune, even when he was little. Jack studied music at college in Worcester before going to Cardiff University, during which time Linda said he got his first tattoo. I didn't know he had had it done until he came back, said Linda. Then he just kept getting more. He was covered back to front. They just appeared. She said that, although he was embarrassed by it later in life, he had been a fashion model at one time and she'd kept all the catalogues he'd appeared in. Linda said she'd kept all the news articles featuring Jack since his death in a scrapbook for his six-year-old daughter Penny. Jack lived in the Arboretum and, though not still in a relationship with Penny's mum, saw her often. They were very close, said Linda. He was a brilliant dad. You couldn't fault him. She looks just like him. I don't know what she's going to grow up like. Jack and Penny shared a love of heavy metal music, said Linda, who following his death found a heavy metal CD in the car they shared and often listens to it with her granddaughter. Linda, who took full custody of Jack from her daughter, said she was always close with her grandson, who became like her youngest son. Fighting back tears, she said they would often go for coffees before he went to work in the mornings. The whole Jack has left in me is immense. He was my link to a normal life, she said, adding it's such a wasted talent. I miss him. It doesn't go away. He just got into everybody's lives. He put a lot into his short life. He was extreme. He was, he was everything. Quiet, funny, a mixture. Everybody has down times and up times, but he was fine. This headline is from Thursday, January the 17th. The owner of Elgar Retail Park says it did not give permission for the mass meet-up and is working to prevent future gatherings from taking place. The All Mods event on Sunday evening, January 13th, from 5pm to 9pm, saw an estimated 450 modified cars and as many as 1,000 people descend on the retail park in Blackpool Road, Worcester. Residents complained about the noise created by revving engines and backfiring exhausts, something those in attendance have denied. Legal and General, which owns the retail park, said investigations are underway regarding what options are available to discourage further incidents. The spokesman added that such events can be extremely challenging to police when the park is open to the public and access is required for vehicles. City Councillor Joe Hodges has said the meetings are definitely not something we want happening in the retail park and hopes to organise talks with all parties involved. 
Ideally, we can speak to the organisers and get them to agree that a setting like the retail park, which is an urban area, is totally unsuitable for these meetings and bound to disturb residents, she continued. Councillor Hodges, who represents Warnden, said it is difficult for police because nothing necessarily illegal took place at the meeting. It caused lots of distress and residents are very upset by what's gone on, she said. The noise and the disruption would perhaps be classed as a public order offence if anyone was put in fear. The police have their hands tied. She said a barrier system would be one potential solution to the problem. A 56-year-old Blackpool resident who wished to remain anonymous and who went to scope out the event incognito did admit, admit it was only a select few in attendance who were causing an issue. He said that when the KFC restaurant was first opened at Elgar Retail Park, barriers were put in, which for a short time did prevent this sort of issue. We were already having problems locally with boy racers when KFC opened, so myself and other residents and councillors organised a meeting with the park's management group at the time, he explained. A gentleman's agreement was put in place, he claimed, with the management agreeing to have a bollard system fitted which would be closed by security staff in the evening. This meant the majority of the businesses had closed for the day, but there was still access to the fast food restaurant. But they put in the cheapest possible bollard, which involved a chain being slung across the entrance, and I think the security guards got sick of it and gave up, he said. People were just pulling the posts out of the ground, and the council couldn't do anything to enforce it. But for a short time, it did prevent the boy racers. The residents said nearby Blackpool Retail Park has barriers and lift-up bars, and it works perfectly because customers can access the McDonald's, but not the whole car park when closed. I want a resolution for everyone, he continued. We are not selfish. There's a solution that doesn't annoy everyone, and that's to hold these meetings away from residential areas. We don't want to spoil their fun, but we will not put up with it. He said police pounced on some of the car enthusiasts, who appeared to be doing excessive speeds on Sunday, as they left the car park but they got wise to it. The next car was a Subaru Impreza, but it came like a pedal car. They couldn't have come out any slower if they tried. The police could have done them for driving too slow, he said. West Mercia police have confirmed there was a marked police car present at the event. The legal and general spokesman said the All Mods group did not have permission to be on Elgar Retail Park and as our first concern is always for the safety and well-being of shoppers and local residents, we are in the process of contacting the organisation and West Mercia Police in an aim to prevent future gatherings at the retail park. We will also investigate what other options are available to us to discourage further incidents, which can be extremely challenging to police when the park is open to the public and access is required for vehicles. All mods did not respond to the Worcester News request for a comment. We previously reported that Sunday's event raised just under £850 for St Richard's Hospice in Worcester. And now some more stories you may be interested in. A hospital trust chief has, has admitted demand is exceptionally high after patients raise concerns about queuing ambulances, heaving corridors and a packed A&E at Worcestershire Royal. 
The long delays at the city hospital on Tuesday evening, January the 15th, came after County MP Rachel McLean's letter this week to new Minister for Health and Social Care, Stephen Hammond, about the unacceptable conditions at Worcestershire's hospitals. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcester Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said staff across the Trust are working hard to provide the safest care they can for patients in the face of continuing pressures on beds. Despite our best efforts, this does, not, this does mean that some patients have to wait longer than we would wish to be admitted to a bed, he said. The Trust Chief went on to reassure patients that Worcester Association... Oh, wait a minute. Worcester, what WAHT is continuing to work closely with its partners across the healthcare system to manage winter pressures. He said additional bed capacity at WRH and the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch will be in place in the coming days and weeks. Mr Hopkins added that Avon 5, a new 28-bed ward at the Worcester Hospital, opened yesterday, January the 16th. We would appeal to local people to play their part by following advice on using health services wisely, he said. Policing last year's marches by the English Defence League in Worcester cost £100,000, a sum a senior officer described as being used effectively and reasonably. The EDL held two marches in Worcester last summer, in July and August, to protest against plans to build a large mosque in the city. Three people were arrested in July's demo after far-right protesters clashed with counter-demonstrators. The following month, about 150 EDL marches were outnumbered by more than 500 people who turned out to tell EDL supporters that they were not welcome in the city. This week, Chief Superintendent Mark Travers said, the combined total for the two protests was £100,000, with the second costing the majority of this £88,000. We believe the money and resources were used effectively and responsibly, and the structure of the policing operation was in line with other forces and the national requirements for the management of large-scale protests. We aimed to achieve what the public told us was important from this event, which was to minimise disruption to those who live, work and visit Worcester and keep our communities feeling as safe as possible. We recognise many wanted the event to be banned, but that was not possible. The right to peaceful protest is a fundamental dem democratic right and during each event our role is to prevent any crime and disorder and make sure we have an appropriate policing operation in place. We liaise with event organisers and a range of partners to make sure that that is the case. Having a successful policing operation for this will Im was important to our community. The majority of the feedback we have received has been very positive from the community, general public and the media. We would again like to thank officers and staff who were involved in the operation. Our partners, such as Worcester Bid, who liaised with traders in the city, and our nationwide forces who helped with the providing mounted resources and additional officers, their professionalism and hard work ensured minimum disruption. Worcester's High Street has bucked the national trend by seeing an increase in the number of visitors recorded, but the news comes as another city shop closed down. 
The good news that the city's high street enjoyed a rise of 0.3% in footfall in 2018 compared to 2017, according to Worcester bid figures, has been tempered by gift company at Crowngate Shopping Centre closing down this week. In comparison on footfall, cities across the country saw visitor numbers drop by minus 3.2% year-on-year on average. Visitor numbers in Worcester peaked up in, peaked in the run-up to Christmas at nearly 2.4 million during December. Worcester Bid says its Christmas in Worcester campaign, supported by Crowngate Shopping Centre, Cathedral Square and Worcester City Council, attracted shoppers. There was also late-night shopping and free and discounted parking initiatives and a marketing campaign to bring in shoppers. Phoebe Dawson, Worcester Bid Chief Executive, said... I'm thrilled that Worcester continues to defy the downward spiral that other high streets are sadly facing. It is undeniably a challenging time for businesses and consumers alike, but everyone is pulling together to come up with creative ways to ensure Worcester is an attractive place to visit and shop. Meanwhile, there has been another shop closure at Crowngate, with the gift company shutting down. The firm which sells gifts and furniture and has stores across the UK has vacated the unit and put up signs informing customers of the closure. Last year, Carluccio's Restaurant and Rise Record Shop closed in Crowngate. Earlier this month, the Worcester News reported that Hawkins Bazaar Toy Shop had announced it was holding a closing down sale. Crowngate and Gift Company were unavailable for comment. This article is from Thursday, January the 17th. Homelessness experts have spoken out about the issue of professional begging in Worcester. Caring for the Communities and People, CCP, which runs the city's night shelter, has warned that some of the people on Worcester's streets are not necessarily homeless. CCP issued the warning in response to a Worcester News article about Black Cherry Strip Club handing out sleeping bags to the city's homeless. In the report, the owner of the club cast doubt over the number of genuine rough sleepers in the city. Ross Weber, who manages CCP's homelessness services in Worcestershire, said, The issue is that there are people on the street begging that are not necessarily homeless. For some, it's a way to top up their benefits. We hear stories of people that do better begging than being on minimum wage. I've heard of people pulling up in a car, getting into a doorway, making like they are homeless and begging. They sit there with sleeping bags around them. I think it's plausible it's happening in Worcester. However, Mr Weber emphasised that no one plans to become a beggar. He said, I don't believe anyone comes out of school and thinks, what am I going to do with my life? I'm going to become a professional beggar. Mr Weber added that these people often suffer from mental health and addiction issues. He added we need to talk to them and get to the bottom of why they are doing it. If we vilify them and say they need to leave the area or arrest them, it will just move the problem elsewhere. It will still be a drain on resources. The manager instead recommended that beggars be directed towards services that can help them, such as the Drug Rehabilitation Charity, Swan Swell or the NHS. Speaking on behalf of Worcester City Homeless and and Vulnerable People Forum, Jonathan Sutton, head of the St Paul's Hostel, said it was impossible to check the veracity of professional begging reports. 
However, he encouraged members of the public to inform police about any suspect professional begging. And here's a report from the mayor, Councillor Jabarias. This is his weekend weekly report. Last Saturday, I opened the 400th Park Run up at the Worcestershire Countryside Centre. Nearly 700 runners turned up, all shapes and sizes, as well as some veterans and plenty of newbies. We had runners who ran with their dogs, runners running with their children in buggies, and also runners who were partially sighted. Congratulations to Councillor Neil Lawrenson for doing his fellow councillors proud and coming first in the run. Anyway, I've always hated running with a vengeance. I was always the one that forgot his towel or was mysteriously sick on cross-country days at school. When I was forced to run, I took short cuts and on several occasions ended up coming in before the best runners or even the teachers. I decided last year as a resolution to start getting over this dislike of running and challenge myself. So in December, I started with treadmill running and slowly but surely I have managed to regularly do a distance of around 10k, six weeks into my training regime. I'm yet to make the transition to road or trail running, but today, by the time you read this article, I will have hopefully completed my first park run. Park run is for everyone, including walkers. There are groups for slow joggers too, and pacers are ready to help you, whatever stage or level you are. At incredibly all, and incredibly, all of this is run by volunteers. It is truly a great spectacle. Park Run is one big family and a f- true representation of community spirit. Everyone's welcome and it's totally free. Two Park Runs take place in Worcester every week, one at Pitchcroft and one at the Worcestershire Countryside Park. Half of the council's super-fast electric car chargers are not working properly. Worcestershire County Council received a £600,000 grant to install 12 rapid charge points across the region in 2015. However, electric car drivers claim that they are often not able to use the facilities. Councillor Peter MacDonald, an electric car owner and the leader of the County Council's Labour Group, said, it's disgraceful what the councils have done. They charge... Sorry, these charges are not being monitored. It's not until someone rings up and says a charger is not working that they go round to them. The council doesn't realise that the seriousness of these charges not working. I've seen people stranded. They have to get the AA. Until they start improving the service and installing more charges, a lot of people will be put off electric cars. Mr MacDonald added that it also costs more to use one of the council's points compared with charges at motorway service stations. He said, most people like me won't use the county council ones because of the price. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman said, we're aware that some faults have been reported with some of the electric car charges points operated and maintained across the county by Charge Master. On Monday, there were problems with rapid charges at St. Martin's car park, sorry, St. Martin's Gate car park in Worcester, webs of Witchfold, um, Evesham Leisure Centre, Abbey Stadium and Greenland's Business Centre in Redditch and Kidderminster's Weaver's Wharf. The County Council said Charge Master has arranged repairs. And now we've got a a few sports articles. This one is about um, Worcester City Football Club. 
and it looks like they've had a good win over Studley, um, winning their match by five goals to none, or love, five love, is it, or something like that. I'm not sure what the term is in football. Um, James Lemon's double, either side of an own goal, and blockbusters from George Forsyth and Aaron Basford saw 10-man Worcester City waltz past Studley 5-0. The Midland Football League Cup third round tie was not all plain sailing though, with Dale Edwards hitting the crossbar and Tom Fishwick surviving calls for an early red card after he brought down Shea Palmer as he darted towards the goal. City led on 21 minutes when Lemon took a well-weighted pass in his stride before guiding around keeper Tom Hayward. Captain Jordan Stoddart saw red when referee Jake Allsop deemed he had denied Dan Carter an obvious goal-scoring opportunity in a tangle on the right edge of the box in the 26th minute. Studley enjoyed a brief flurry of pressure but got dealt a killer blow in added time at the end of the first half when Palmer diverted a Josh Willis free kick from the right into his own net. Lemon started and finished an incisive break for the third, playing a 1-2 with Ethan Moran before steering low around Hayward from 18 yards on the hour. George Forsyth introduced as a substitute after Stoddart's dismissal, curled home a delightful free kick with 19 minutes to go. Aaron Basford cut inside from the left and unleashed the goal of the night late on, a swerving shot across goal that nestled in the top far corner of the net. We tackle the big talking points from an eventful night at the Beehive. Red calls the wrong way round. Stoddart was adamant there was little in his coming together with Carter and those on the sidelines for both clubs found it hard to disagree. Having given the foul, man in the middle Allsop had little choice to brandish the red card but perhaps a previous incident was on his mind. Fishwick caught Palmer in full flight heading towards goal and in more cynical fashion. Only Allsop knows how much the timing of that 12th-minute flashpoint or the 30-yard distance from goal played a part in his thinking, but the feeling was Fishwick had been fortunate. Tactical Nouse Forsyth, who had not been included in the 16 until Keon Evans picked up a pre-match injury, was summoned from the bench as soon as Stoddart went off and City's management played the situation to perfection. Sticking with three at the back and two central midfielders in front worked a treat with the hard-working trio behind Lemon providing protection without the ball and, just as importantly, punch with it. Such a young city side needed that leadership and bringing in Forsyth was the right call. At no point could you tell which team had ten men. Zesty Lemon Studley caused a few problems either side of the red card and Lemon's tenacity and sharp play helped swing the pendulum. Every time the ball dropped in front of the opposing back four, he was there, darting straight towards the goal. The opening goal seemed to unlock the belief he built up at Droitwich and his desire to play on the front foot created options for the three supporting him. A harsh scoreline? 
You could understand Studley feeling hard done by after competing well enough for 45 minutes, but then it would be just as harsh to take anything away from City. A three-goal margin after an hour was fair enough, and the two goals that completed the scoring were top-draw strikes. As the goals went in, spirit drained from one side and was gleefully gathered by the other. City kept going and earned eventually applauded it. That cannot be questioned, even if the balance of the game was not what you would expect from a 5-0. What now? City made nine changes and put on one of the displays of the season, certainly the best in recent weeks. So many staked strong claims for a shirt on Saturday, when City host lowly South Normanton Athletic, but would sticking with it or most of this match change the side to be the right move. There will be a sterner test than a studly side, not at its best, but some of the standout performers, no doubt, gave John Snape food for thought. Our fights to stay at Warriors is the heading. Worcester Warriors have yet to begin contract talks with Six Ways stalwart Johnny R, despite his current deal running out in the summer. The Worcester-born scrum half has been at Warriors since the age of seven and spoken of his desire to finish his career with his boyhood club. But the 30-year-old, who is one of only four players to play more than 200 games in the blue and gold, faces an uncertain future with boss Alan Solomons yet to open negotiations. It leaves R fighting for a new deal as he starts in today's European Challenge Cup showdown with Ospreys at the Liberty Stadium at 3pm. Asked whether discussions over a contract extension had started, R said no, not at this point. It has been a while since I've been out of contract, so I've just got to wait and see whether I feature in the plans and go from there. But I'm more focused on just playing well, week in and week out, and trying to get myself in that squad. R, who made his debut in 2007, is joint third on Warriors' all-time appearance list, alongside Chris Pennell, with the pair making 214 outings. Earlier this week, Pennell put pen to paper on a two-year contract and R wants to follow in his long-time teammates' footsteps. Chris has stuck by the club through thick and thin and that is a credit to him, R said. He has got real belief in this place and wants to see that through and be part of a successful Worcester side. I would certainly be more than interested if a new deal was to come my way. This club has been a massive part of my life and it would be great to take it to the next step in a similar vein to Chris and move forward. This is my hometown club and I love it to bits. To be in a position where I could potentially see my career out would be a good position to be in, so we will wait and see. While Pennell has been a regular in Solomon's side, R has struggled for game time this season as he slipped behind behind summer signing Michael Heaney in the pecking order. But the former Royal Grammar School Worcester pupil, who celebrated his testimonial season last term, has played a supporting role to Warriors' talisman Francois Hugard in recent weeks. R starred in Worcester's 23-7 win over Pau in torrid conditions and came off the bench to help his side beat Bath 21-19 last Saturday. 
It has been a tricky one this season and a bit of a mixed bag, R said. I've not been involved as much as I would have liked, but that comes with the competition that we have got here. I had to wait a while for another opportunity to play with the boys. In the last few weeks, I have managed to get back out there, so that has been a positive. All I can do is play the best rugby that I can. If I'm not doing that, then someone will take my place, as the competition is certainly good enough. It is keeping us all on our toes. Stars from Worcester Warriors are set to pass on their skills to youngsters from Wolverhampton Rugby Club. The club's under-12 side will get the chance to rub shoulders with Warriors players after winning Gallagher's Train with Your Heroes competition. Mm. Coach Rob Harris put forward his team because he thought the experience would benefit them as they progress through the age groups. After a difficult shortlisting process, reviewing just under 300 detailed submissions, Wolverhampton were among the 12 successful entries who will each receive a skills sharpening session full of professional tips and guidance, hosted by star players from their local premiership team. The training sessions will be fulfilled from February to May 2019, and in the pool table, Warriors are at the top with 13 points. A market could be returning to a town after it was closed down a year ago. Barry Knott, a Droitwich resident, thinks a market is needed again to rejuvenate the town following news of popular sweet shop Izzy Wizzy Sweets closing down in December. And the town council has said it is looking into reintroducing a market. Mr Knott said, when you, have a great street, when you have got a street market, it brings people in and while they are there, they have a good look round at what else there is there. They need to bring it back and do what Bromsgrove does, which is to have a market every week. It will help. People from Droitwich are going over there to Bromsgrove because they have got more going on. They got rid of our market stores a year ago, but market stores bring people from other cities into your town. Shops seem to do well and they seem to thrive, Mr Knott said. This is what they need to do in Droitwich rather than spend money on parks which just get vandalised. They need to do more fairs and street fairs in Droitwich to get people to come to the town. Droitwich has become an old people's town. The council has got to wake up, he added. Mr Knott said there used to be a market in Victoria Square. It was only a small thing with DVDs and some clothes. Once a year, they have the street market and people flock from everywhere. When they had the classic car show, people would flock from everywhere to see it. It's been 12 months since the Droitwich Charter Market ended. It ran every Friday for three years. Now the council is hopeful it will return. Droitwich Town Clerk Mark Keld said, Unfortunately, the operator retired. He gave notice for personal reasons. We have been unable to get an alternative contractor in place since then, although we are hoping and looking at a couple of options to get it reinstated this year. There is a possibility that we will be able to reintroduce the charter market, possibly in the spring or onwards, if the negotiations are positive. In December, the town's last independent sweet shop, Izzy Wizzy Sweets, closed down. Mr Knott said, I hate to see empty places in Droitwich. It's better to get something rather than nothing. The county's West Midland Safari <coughs> Park has been bought out by a French leisure parks company. The Spring Grove Road Safari Park near Budley 
which is home to around 140 species, including elephants, rhino and lions, have been taken over by the Looping Group, which operates amusement parks across Europe. A park spokesman said, The Looping Group has completed the acquisition of West Midland Safari Park. Further information about this exciting development will be available later this year. Previously owned by the Safari World Holidays until the takeover in December, West Midland Safari Park featured the largest animatronic dinosaur exhibit in the UK. It attracted around 700,000 visitors last year. The park is the 15th amusement park to be opened by the Looping Group, which already runs parks in France, Switzerland, Netherlands and Germany. The company launched in 2011 is expected to count around 4.3 million visitors this year for a turnover exceeding 100 million euros. Laurent Brulot, CEO of Looping, said... We are very pleased to welcome a great management team and staff who will be key to developing the park into an even more exciting family destination with our support and new feature investments. We want to keep the strong local anchorage of West Midland Safari Park with its local communities and will continue the important role of West Midland Safari Park towards animal conservation in and ex situ. Another art trail of painted animal sculptures could be heading to Worcester after organisers described the resounding success of the recent giraffe trail. St Richard's Hospice fundraising director Tricia Cavell hinted another trail could be on the cards after an evaluation of the Worcester Stands Tall, the art trail which took place this summer, found it had raised £233,000 for the hospice and been widely enjoyed. MEL Research conducted a survey funded by Worcester Bid to discover the impact of the trail. Mrs Cavell noted that there were lessons that could be learnt if her team were to take on a similar project in future. She said there was a significant drop in people engaging with the trail when schools went back, so we probably would do an eight-week trial if we did it again. We sold out very quickly for the farewell event. We could have sold the tickets four times over. The project launched in May 2017 with a call to sponsors. A call to schools took place in September 2017. It was not until February to May 1918 the giraffes were painted and the trial began on July 9th. Mrs Cavell said, clearly it takes an awful lot of time. If we did it again it would be in 2021 and we would be happy with the same level of income at the end. Mrs Cavell also recognised the success of the giraffes compared to sculptures for similar art trails put on in other cities. The giraffes were sold at an auction in October and the money went towards the hospice's Build 2020 appeal, which is working towards an expansion at the hospice to enable more people to be cared for. At the end, our sculptures had a much higher value than some others, said Mrs Cavell. She revealed any future trail would not feature giraffes again, but a new animal has not yet been chosen. A councillor is calling for independent fishmongers to set up shop in Worcester. 
and revive an area of the city which residents fear could become a ghost town. Councillor Richard Udall, representing St John's, tweeted his appeal earlier this week with the message calling all fishmongers at NFF, fishmongers, the village in the city needs you. St John's in Worcester needs a fishmonger, an independent business selling fresh fish and seafood by popular demand. We have a few empty shops and we will welcome you. Come to St John's in Worcester. At the moment, Worcester residents wanting to buy fresh seafood can go to the Williams Farm Shop in Beverley, check its fine foods in Ombersley or the fish counters in the city's supermarkets. This means there are currently no independent fishmongers in the city itself. Because of this, Councillor Udall believes there is a gap in the market for an independent fishmonger to set up shop in the city. He said, I've been having discussions with a number of residents and traders in St John's since before Christmas, asking them what we can do to increase footfall, and a common theme has been that unique shops and a more diverse range of shops is needed. The most popular suggestion which keeps popping up is to have a specialist trained fishmonger in the area. We need someone with a wide range of goods and it has been said time and time again that we need specialist shops who have excellent knowledge. It would be great to have the unique expertise a fishmonger could provide as there is currently no independent local fishmonger near St John's. There used to be one 20 or so years ago but since he retired there hasn't been one. Yes, there is a fresh fish counter in Sainsbury's, but ideally we need the knowledge and expertise of a proper specialist. Last year, residents and traders warned of St John's becoming a ghost town, with business owners voicing their concerns about a lack of parking in the area and of its effect on footfall. Research by SeafoodSource.com says the UK fishmonger trade currently comprises around 950 independent operations, ranging from fish shops to farmers market stalls and mobile traders, down from 8,000 in the industry's heyday in the 1940s. A leading city councillor has said the council should be bold over plans to reopen an empty cafe on the River Severn. Councillor Chris Mitchell, chairman of Worcester City Council's planning committee, said the cafe on the North Quay, which closed in October last year, had huge potential and he felt the council was not moving quickly enough on some of the city's low-hanging fruits. He said, I would really like to see us be bold. It's such a popular walking site, that riverside. There are literally thousands of people walking there at the weekend and there is nowhere to have a coffee. I think for the risk of buying a kiosk and employing someone for six months over the summer as a pilot, we gamble 30 grand potentially, but I don't think we'd lose 30 grand. Some cafes make a couple of grand a week. Councillor Mitchell said he believed that at least 1.2 million people had been clocked on the riverside in a year. If 20% of them spend a fiver, that's a million quid, he said. Speaking at a meeting of the Council's Income Generation Subcommittee on Tuesday, January the 15th, Shane Flynn, Corporate Director of Finance and Resources at the Council, said he shared Councillor Mitchell's sense of frustration over the pace of change. Mr Flynn admitted the council had had underinvested in some of its assets and in some areas that would allow for the council to bring in money. 
he added that necessary work over the past few years had put a structure in place, one it did not have before, to allow for the council to generate more income. Councillor Roger Knight said the council should be picked out should be picking out opportunities and not allowing grander plans, such as the city master plan and the Riverside Development Project, to swallow them and prevent growth. He said, Don't let them break and stop the pro- progress in what we are trying to do. Let's get ahead of the game. Police say action will be <clears throat> taken against antisocial boy racers in Warnton Villages, Worcester, after receiving just four complaints from distressed residents. We have previously reported how car enthusiasts regularly meet up in Tesco car park on Millwood Drive, but claim they don't race around Warnton villages. However, resident Andy Graham has set up a a petition which he plans to present to police and Tesco's in an attempt to stop the meetings and the alleged illegal racing. The 57-year-old, who lives on the junction between Millwood Drive and Plantation Drive, said he is often woken up in the early hours by revving engines and screeching tyres. Neighbours have also reported to him seeing cars driving at speeds of 60 to 70 miles an hour on the estate's roads, he claims. However, car car enthusiasts Tim Hill and Bethany May say this is not the case, with the latter adamant the group's activities are harmless. Tim, 22, who lives in Topham Avenue, Warnden Villages, said there's usually around 10 people at the meetings, but he doesn't know of any of them breaking the speed limit, let alone racing. Officers from the Warnden Safer Neighbourhood team have now issued a statement saying they won't want, that, sorry, that they want to reassure residents that action is being taken against antisocial driving in the area. Sergeant Carl Jones said, We are aware that the community of Warnden is becoming increasingly distressed regarding vehicle-related antisocial behaviour. During the last calendar month, which was December, we have only had four calls from members of the public that directly relate to the problem in Warnden and Warnden villages in Worcester. Patrol officers in the Safer Neighbourhood team have conducted visible controls, sorry, visible patrols in the area to reassure the community. We are appealing to members of the public to report vehicle-related antisocial behaviour at the time the incident occurs. This will mean that officers can be more effectively deployed in particular. But please note down the full registration of those vehicles involved. Those who wish to raise concerns are advised to report incidents to police by calling 101. An offer to buy a former car boot sale site on the outskirts of the city has been accepted, says an estate agent. The field off the Ketch roundabout in Worcester had a £3 million asking price in an online advert posted by property agents Fisher German. However, a spokesman for agents said, an offer has been accepted but the sale is yet to be complete. Therefore, I am unable to say who the purchaser is, unfortunately. The site is due to be developed into 81 homes as part of the South Worcester Urban Extension. However, City Councillor Roger Knight, who represents St Peter's, is against the plans and claims the site is not suitable for housing. He added... 
I just think it's a bad location to build. It's not an easy piece of land to reach by foot. You're pretty much landlocked there. You're trapped by roads. We don't want people walking across the Southern Link Road. Without some kind of bridge, I don't know how you would easily access the services in and around the area on foot. Mr Knight said that residents would also have a walk to have to walk a fair distance to reach a proposed footbridge over Broomhall Way near the Norton Roundabout. He added, Eventually there will be a hub for that area, the urban extension, with, I believe, a small supermarket, a health centre and a school. However, the councillor said the estate would be left without shops or food outlets for a considerable period of time if a developer pushes ahead with the plans in the near future. Mr Knight added that while new homes need to be built, they have to be in the right areas. He also raised concerns about the impact the project would have on congestion and the environment. The councillor said, It's a huge chunk of countryside that'll disappear. I think everyone is also concerned about how many new cars the development will bring to the area. Seven Capital, which submitted a planning application on behalf of the landlord, was granted online planning permission for the site in 2017. Car boot sales took place on the field for 14 days every year, mainly on Sundays and bank holidays. A drug addict sneaked into a garden and took meat joints from a shed freezer using a trolley he had also stolen, a court heard. Peter Finch, who owes more than £2,000 in outstanding court fines and costs, admitted trespassing and stealing from a shed, as well as possession of a Class Class B drug, when he appeared at Worcester Magistrate Court on Thursday. Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting, said Finch's crime was caught on CCTV and footage showed him entering the rear garden of a property in Worcester and going to a padlocked shed. The padlock went missing, she said. In the CCTV, he is seen disappearing to the shed. Several minutes later, he is then seen leaving the shed with a blue trolley, which he didn't have when he entered. Miss Ritchie explained the CCTV showed the trolley was full, but the contents were not clear. The homeowner later found six meat joints and chicken were missing from the freezer. Miss Ritchie said Finch of Redcliffe Street, Barbon, was later arrested by police and officers found amphetamines on him, which he admitted was for his personal use. Mark Lister, defending, said at the time he was homeless, living in a tent. It was an opportunist offence. There was no planning. Proved by him taking the shopping trolley, he took the food either to sell or eat himself. He was at a low ebb. Mr Lester Mr. Lister said the 53-year-old had battled with an addiction to amphetamines, explaining this was why the drugs were found on him. Magistrates fined Finch £80, ordered him to pay £50 compensation and a victim surcharge of £30, a total of £160. For the possession offence, he was given a conditional discharge. Magistrates also ordered the destruction of the amphetamines. A Worcester man is one of the first people to be charged under a new law which carries harsher penalties for attacking emergency service workers. 
The 54-year-old man was arrested on Thursday for allegedly punching two police constables in the arm and jaw and resisting arrest in Worcester. John Campion, Police and Crime Commissioner for the West Mercia area, welcomed the charges. He said no one should come to work expecting to be assaulted. The change in law is something which I've long campaigned for as part of my Behind the Badge and I'm pleased to see it being used to protect our hard-working officers and staff. The Assault on Emergency Workers Act came into effect last November and gave courts the power to impose stronger sentences on people who commit certain crimes against paramedics, police officers and firefighters. For example, the Act doubled the maximum prison sentence for assaulting an emergency worker from 6 to 12 months. PC Lloyd Stone, who was attacked while on duty in Bromsgrove in August, told the Worcester News he supported the new penalties. He added, I think it's absolutely brilliant. When I come into work, I want to go home. I don't want to be getting assaulted. I know the job comes with risk, but the last thing I want is an injury from work. I've got a family. When I was assaulted, it had a massive impact on me with all the time off from work. We are not there to be against people, we are there to help them. How they think they have the right to assault us is ridiculous. PC Stone said the new sentences will be hopefully hopeful to deter some people from assaulting emergency workers. Building work for a new school which has been set up due to the shortfall of school places in the area is on track for completion this year. North Worcestershire Primary Academy, the NWPA, located on the old park and ride site in Purdiswell, has been set up by the River C of E Academy Trust. The 2,500 square metre footprint and 80-tonne steel frame are now complete. The Trust said the ultra-modern school building will utilise the latest education-specific ideas and technology. Landscape gardens will include a year-round AstroTurf sports field, as well as a large and well-established forest school area. Kate Blunt, CEO of the Trust, said, We are so excited to see building work coming along so quickly. The new school will be a wonderful place to teach, learn and have fun. Classrooms will be spacious and light, with specialist subject rooms for regular practical activities. The latest resources in every classroom will assist best teacher practice, including age-specific library areas and interconnection breakout rooms for one-to-one support. Sean Williams, executive head teacher of NWPA and head teacher of Northwick Manor Primary, said... NWPA will give local children the opportunity to learn in a fresh and modern environment within a small and nurtured community. We're extremely proud that our learning will follow the River curriculum principles, which have been developed through work with Professor Mick Waters, former Director of Curriculum at the Qualification and Curriculum Authority. In September, there will be up to 26 children starting in preschool and up to 60 starting in reception. Applications for these places can be made via North Worcester Print, sorry, NorthWorcesterPrimary.co.uk 
Although applications officially close today, anyone interested in finding out information about places after this date should call the Rivers Academy office on 01299851178. Families can apply for a place at NWPA alongside their applications for other state schools and potentially choose between their two offers at a later date. Losing our libraries will leave a hole. Plans to dramatically reduce our library services in Worcestershire have understandably caused outrage among loyal visitors. For many people, the local library is so much more than just a place to borrow books or use the internet. It is a community hub where they can meet fellow residents for a chat, the venue for all kinds of social groups and classes and a source of information. We must remember that not everybody has their own computer at home which provides access to the internet, so they need the library to browse websites. Therefore, for them, the library is vital for keeping in touch with the world. With all of this in mind, Worcestershire County Council's proposed cuts, whether taking the form of reduced opening times, having fewer staff or none at all on duty at some times, or just closing a library altogether, will undoubtedly undoubtedly have a major impact on some communities. Yes, the County Council and all local authorities have to save money due to shrinking budgets, but in decimating our libraries, a hole will be created in our communities. Waterways Charity, the Canal and River Trust, is launching a new campaign to recruit more volunteers to take on the role of lock keeper. Areas that require a lock keeper include Diglis Basin in Worcester. Britain's canals are more popular than ever before, with more boats using them than at the height of the Industrial Revolution. Last year, over a 1,000 people volunteered as lock keepers, and the task involves helping boaters on their journeys and providing information. The campaign is called Join the Daves, as Dave is the most common name among the Trust's thousands of volunteers. 130 Daves give up their time to manage waterways across Worcestershire. To volunteer, visit canalrivertrust.org.uk slash volunteer. The life of author and historian Margaret Bamford, who died just before Christmas at the age of 84, will be commemorated with a service next month. Margaret was born on June 30th, 1924, in the village of Overbury near Pershaw, and her sister Avril was born five years later. In 1931, the family moved to Pershaw and lived there for the next 50 years, and Margaret always had a great affection for Pershaw. She attended Worcester Grammar School for Girls and gained a place at the University of Manchester to study French with Spanish and then embarked on a career in teaching. Margaret's first job was at Colville in Leicestershire, and in 1976 she moved to Clifton in Bristol. She also taught for six years in Jamaica, before coming to Morven to work for more than five years in the bursar's office at Morven Girls College. In her retirement, Margaret wrote many books about her life, her family, including her aunt Florence, who worked for the royal household, and about the history of the Morven and the Pershaw areas. She gave talks to local groups and through these raised money for several charities. She also enjoyed travel 
especially travelling alone, which she said was much more interesting and exciting than going with other people. She travelled widely within Europe, to South American countries and to the USA. Margaret had a wide range of interests, including the theatre, painting, knitting, flower arranging and making jam. She was a member of St Matthias's Church Morven Architectural Society, Morven Civic Society and Worcester Naturalists. In 1994, Margaret organised her own 70th birthday party and 20 years later a party to celebrate her 90th birthday party. These were attended by some of her former pupils as well as by friends and colleagues from her teaching years. She was taken ill in December and died in hospital two days later. She had planned her own memorial service which will be held in St Matthias's Church, Morven Link, on Saturday, February the 9th at 11.30am. All are welcome to attend the service. Owners of long-term em- long-term empty homes in Witchhaven will see their council tax bill doubled after new plans were backed by councillors. Witchhaven District Council's Executive Committee agreed to increase the amount it charges for homes that have been empty for more than two years by 100% from April. The District Council currently charges an extra 50% on top of the normal council tax bills for homes which have been empty for more than two years. There are 148 homes in Witchhaven which have been empty for more than two years, just under half of which have been empty for more than five years. 26 homes have been empty for more than a decade. Vic Allison, Deputy Managing Director of Witchhaven District Council, said the intention of this revised legislation is to encourage and bring back empty homes into use. We have a shortage of housing and leaving properties empty is not helping that. This is not intended to catch people who are genuinely trying to sell properties and they will be exempt from this rule. Councillor Gerry O'Donnell said anything that is a dissent is a, a disincentive to having empty houses is to be welcomed in my view and this is one way of doing it certainly that has a bonus of in, income also the government changed the law to help reduce the number of empty homes across the country and gave councils the opportunity to raise council tax for those that have been unoccupied for more than two years The government believes the increased charges will act as an incentive for owners to bring empty homes back into use and help meet the current housing shortage. However, the decision on whether to apply the charges remains with the District Council based on housing need and the number of long-term empty homes. The District Council said it would bring in an extra £115,000 from the increased charges. If the number of empty homes remained the same, but reiterated its priority is to cut the amount of long-term unoccupied homes. Government guidance has also made it clear that the increased charges should not be used to punish the owners of homes which are genuinely for sale. The trial of a former Worcester mayor has been, who, sorry, who has pleaded not guilty to causing the death of his wife in a car crash has been adjourned until August 27th. Aubrey Tarbuck, 88, also denied two allegations of causing serious injury by dangerous driving in October 2017. The trial was due to start at Shrewsbury Crown Court yesterday, but has now been adjourned for over seven months. Tarbuck's wife, Anne, died when their silver Volvo estate was involved in a collision 
with an Audi Q5 near the Plume of Feathers restaurant at Harley Bank. And that nearly brings us to the end of this week's um, talking newspaper. Uh, just to let you know, lighting up time is 16.29 to 8.08. Um, some birthdays and res- uh, retrospectively, many apologies to Eileen Watson, whose birthday was on the 9th, and to Julie Lloyd, whose birthday was on the 15th. We do wish that you had great days, and sorry we didn't announce it in advance. Um, many happy returns to Margaret May for today. Um, hope you've had a good day, or by the time you get this, would have had a good day. Um, on the 19th is Mary Maddox, Valerie Daniel on the 20th, and Dorothy Toy on the 23rd. We wish you all very happy birthdays. Um, emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is 300 and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number is 01684 892277. Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan Theatre and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number Zero eight zero zero five 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 one one one. Our telephone number is zero one nine zero five seven six seven seven six six. Our address is eleven Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR five one DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly uh, magazines and much more. Well worth looking at. We greatly value your feedback, likes or dislikes or changes you may like made. Just let us know either of these in your um, in your pouches on the way back, in, sorry, the, as you send through the envelopes. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and from all of us tonight, have a good week. Good night. Mm-hmm.